Very pleasant good morning to all of you again. It is so encouraging for me to be here and to come back to Mount Pleasant and to see all of you. Uh, and some of you are new faces. Some of you are uh, older faces that I have known before. And uh, I'm just uh, appreciative of the opportunity to come back to a place that has always been so kind and gracious. And uh, I always leave encouraged when I leave here. I just uh, thank you all so much for all that you do. So whether you are from Lufkin, Beaumont, Nashville, Tennessee, Mount Pleasant, you're with some good folks today. And we're going to study the Bible for a little bit this morning, and I hope you will appreciate the things we're going to study and the things we're going to talk about. I want you to help me finish this song. You, I think you know it pretty well. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You understand that knowing that and embracing that are two different things? So I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about something that maybe we haven't talked about enough, and that is, why is it so hard to believe that Jesus loves me? Why is it so hard to believe that Jesus could love someone like My Bible's open to the third chapter of Genesis. We're going to go back and start there this morning in Genesis chapter 3. And beginning in verse 1, very familiar reading to anyone who has studied the Bible for any length of time. But let's just read it again, set the stage. Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which in the, in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and gave also to her husband and he ate. We'll stop there. The scene is set in Genesis. God creates the world in six glorious days. Adam and Eve live in paradise. In this place called the Garden of Eden, everything is perfect. And then Satan shows up. And when Satan shows up, he shows up with one innocent-sounding question. And it's a little insinuation question that he asks in verse 1 that at first glance and first reading we may miss. Look closely at what he said to the woman. First thing he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said? 
Some translations render that. Did God really say? And all of a sudden, insecurity makes its debut. Now, initially, Eve responds correctly. And then she reconsiders, and then she rationalizes, and then everything changed. But what is interesting to me is how he approaches her. The deceiver does not blatantly tempt her. He does not overtly tempt her. Satan doesn't come up to her in the very first verse, in the very first encounter, and say to her, how about you leave your husband and run off with me to Vegas, and let's make one of those girls gone wild videos doesn't do that. That's not how he works. That's not how he operates. He's subtle. He works below the surface. All he has to do with Eve and all he has to do with you and me is plant a little weed seed of doubt. That's all he has to do. But I will tell you that his weed seed of doubt with Eve is hauntingly familiar to many of us. Because there's other modern versions of the same question. Did God really say that you are loved by Him? Did God really say that you don't have to do more than everybody else? Be more than everybody else? have more than everybody else to be loved by Him? Did God really say that you don't have to keep earning and earning and earning your way into His grace? And we know the right answers to the questions, like He. And then we reconsider, and then we start rationalizing things, and then everything changes for us too. What if in this initial encounter with Satan, What if Eve had responded and said, yes, this is what God said and I believe it. Or what if she had said, no, I'm not going to stand here and allow you to keep planting these seeds of doubt in my mind. What if she had said that? But then again, what if you and I said the same thing? Yes, God really did say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, God really did say He loves me with an everlasting love. Yes, God really did say I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, God really did say that I don't have to keep earning His grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, for it is the gift of You see, ladies and gentlemen, if we believed that, it would change everything. Like replace all of those Satan lies with truth. Like replace doubt with faith. Like replace insecurity with great confidence in God. But the problem is, Satan comes to us just like he came to her, planting those seeds of doubt. And we listen to his lies. From the moment you take your first breath, he's trying to suffocate you with lies. Jesus in John 8 and verse 44 said very plainly, He is a liar. 
And He is the Father of lies. And you open your Bible, you don't have to get past the third chapter of Genesis. And there He is lying and planting the seeds of doubt. Did God really say that? Sometimes Satan uses other people to lie for him. Like the parent who tells a child, you're not good enough. Like a sibling who says to a brother or a sister, you're never going to amount to anything. Like a peer who says, you don't fit in here, you don't fit in anywhere. Why don't you just go away? And we grow, <clears throat> we grow up and we hear those kinds of things. And we hear those words. And they sink into the cracks and the crevices of our heart. And we bleed on the inside. What's the old saying? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Are you kidding? Whoever wrote that did not go to my middle school. Because words hurt. And they hurt a long, long time. Somebody says to us, you're so ugly. Nobody likes you. Nobody would ever want you. You know, God may forgive everybody else, but He's not going to forgive you. And I will tell you, the only thing worse, the only thing that hurts more than those lies is when we start believing In the 8th chapter of John, in the 8th chapter of John, they bring a woman to him caught in adultery. They cast her before Jesus. And twice in that scripture, twice in that scripture, it says Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground. What do you write? doesn't say. Now, I could pull a commentary off my shelf, and I'll guarantee you what the commentary is going to say. It's going to say, Jesus probably wrote down the sins of all of the Pharisees and the accusers, and that very well may be. Don't know, because the Bible doesn't tell us. I know this, whatever Jesus wrote on the ground was truth. You can bank on that, you can count on that, it was truth. But I've always wondered this. What if Jesus wrote for the benefit of the woman? Have you ever thought about that? What if Jesus stooped down and wrote, You are loved. You are forgiven. Would that be truth? Yeah, that'd be truth. And I wish John had focused on her face. I wish we could have seen more of that. Because my guess is that this woman's face is filled with tears. Tears of freedom. Tears of release. Tears of receiving the mercy and the grace of Jesus who knew her heart. But I will tell you what Jesus did for her, He will do for you and for me. And He can take those lies of Satan and He can cover them up with His love. And that's the message, ladies and gentlemen, of this book. So the question before all of us today and every day, who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the liar? Or are you going to believe the God of truth? So I want to leave you this morning with five things 
I always have a list, don't I? Five things, five lies. Five lies that Satan tells us that we tend to believe. Five, five things that Satan just keeps coming at us that we tend to believe. Number one, lie number one. I have to be perfect to be loved by God. I have to be perfect to be loved by God. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. We wear ourselves out trying. And those who live this lie love to quote verses like Matthew 5 and verse 48. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so when we fall, and we do fall, and it happens, then I've just got to try harder, and then I fall harder, and then I try harder, and then I fall harder. And we fail to understand what that verse is telling us. What that verse is telling us is God is the standard. Without the standard, I would have nothing by which to measure myself. Because God is interested in my progress. Progress. There's two things that perfectionist people fail to understand. And both of them are in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. I think Hebrews 10 and verse 14 helps me to understand this perfection thing. Hebrews 10 and verse 14 says, For by one offering He has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. Let's break that down. First thing He says, For by one offering He has perfected. That's past tense. That's not a typo. That's past tense. You see, there is only one who is perfect. And that's not me and that's not you, but it's Him. So if I'm going to be perfected, then I've got to be in Him. It's the only way that's going to happen. And all that sin is washed, is sanctified, is justified, all of those ideas. But the bottom line is, it's in Him, not in me. It's like Jesus shows perfectionism to the foot of the cross and He says, let me take it from here. And He gives to you and me a forgiveness release. He gives us a grace release. But notice the second part of the verse. Those who are sanctified. My marginal reading says, those who are being sanctified. That's present tense. That's present tense. And what that speaks of is the process of growth as a Christian. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, Peter ends that letter by saying, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you know everything about the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you still growing? I think we're still growing. Or 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous. And all of those personifications of love, have you perfected all of those? I haven't. I'm still growing. Or Galatians 5 in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of the... Or 2 Peter chapter 1, the Christian graces we call them sometimes. Self-control and goodness and godliness and kindness and love and all of those things. Have you perfected all of those or do you still have room to grow? Those who are being sanctified. Those who are growing as they follow Jesus. 
I wonder how many Christians think that they have to earn God's liking. When we adopted three children, we were empty nesters, and either we're going to downsize the house or put more kids back in the rooms. And so we just adopted three teenagers. And the girl really had a problem with this. Because every other adult in her life had bailed on her. And she had the idea that she had to keep proving herself over and over and over again or we wouldn't like her anymore and that we would bail on her. And it took time and years to help her understand. We're not going anywhere. You don't have to earn our love. You have it. Doesn't mean she's perfect. Doesn't mean she has to be. We keep working through stuff all the time. But ladies and gentlemen, growth is about who who we are becoming in Him. Making progress. I'll share a verse with you that's really helped me understand this. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18. Proverbs 4 and verse 18. There is a comparison made about this to something we see every day. Proverbs 4 and verse 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn. The path of the righteous. Okay, that's where we want to be. We want to be on the path of the righteous. We want to be right before God. The path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full of the day. You ever wake up at dawn and go, what's wrong with the sun today? It's not very bright. Well, if we said that, we wouldn't be very bright, would we? Because we understand that as the sun rises, using the vernacular we always use, it it just gains strength and gets stronger until the noonday when it's just shining bright. And he says our growth in the path of righteousness is like that, he says. Slowly we gain wisdom, we gain understanding, we develop our spiritual muscles, we lean more and more into God, and we grow more and more and more like Him. Progress. Progress. That's what God seeks. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, I've heard people say this. I need to be more like, and you can fill in the blank. And that's what Satan does. He whispers to us, in essence, and he says, you need to be more like her. You need to be more like him. And so we go through life and we keep comparing ourselves with everybody else. How am I doing compared to... By the way, social media feeds that lie. My office is at home, and so a lot of times I'll break for lunch... I'll go to the pantry and get the staple of my American diet, which is crunchy peanut butter. And uh, I'm kind of odd, but I like peanut butter and banana and jelly sandwiches. Anybody else eat peanut butter and banana and jelly? Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay. I'm the only one. Okay, good. Okay. My wife says I'm weird. Uh, so I'll be sitting there and I'm thinking, I wonder what's going on in the world, you know, and I'll click on social media. And there's my buddy down at the barbecue place, and he's taking a picture of his lunch. It kills me that people do that. Take a picture of their lunch. And I'm sitting there eating a peanut butter and banana sandwich. 
And I'm thinking, oh, that must be nice. Or somebody gets a new car. Look at my new car. Somebody gets a new house. Look at my new house. Somebody gets a new something. Look at my... Somebody goes on a cruise. And I'm thinking, huh, I'm lucky to rent a canoe. You know, look at this. And suddenly it just starts eating at us a little bit. And we, comp- we play the compare game. But we do that with God too. Satan whispers to us in essence. And he says, you know, you're not pretty enough compared to... You're not outgoing enough compared to. You're not likable enough compared to. You're not spiritual enough compared to. You don't do enough compared to. You're not smart enough compared to. And we play this comparison game. And every one of those thoughts come from the father of lies. Because God made you to be you. And there's not another you. Your story belongs to you. Your strengths belong to you. Your skills belong to you. You are you. And your job is to be the best you that God enables you to be. But if you start listening to Satan's lies, we start believing that compare stuff. Number three, third lie of Satan. I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to offer. And so we focus on all of the stuff that we can't do rather than what we can do. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, Peter addresses this very thing. He says, as each one has received a special gift. You are not left out of the gift department. He says, each one has received a special gift. Use what has been given you in the service of one another as good stewards of the manifold, many-folded grace of God. God God hasn't missed you in the gift department. And what Peter is saying is find your gift and then use whatever gifts you have in serving other people. But don't you ever buy the lie that you don't have anything to offer. Number four, lie number four, I am who they say I am. Why do we accept as gospel truth what somebody else says about us? Here's an idea that's really odd, but maybe they're wrong. And at some point, I and you and all of us have to decide, who are we going to listen to? Am I going to listen to them or am I going to listen to God? Am I going to listen to the only one who counts? But Satan whispers to us and says, you are who they say you are. Who are you going to listen to? And last, lie number five, which may be the biggest lie of all, is that I am permanently scarred. I am damaged goods. Nobody has ever messed up to the degree that I have messed up. Nobody has ever been as broken. Nobody has ever been as wounded. Nobody has ever been as hurt as I have been. No one would ever want me. No one could ever use me. No one could ever love me. Guess who's feeding you that? And if you listen to that, you're not the first one to ever do so. I wonder if a woman caught in adultery thought that about her life. I wonder if the thief on the cross thought that about his life. I wonder in the story of Jesus, the prodigal son thought that. Remember that story? 
Remember the father in the story of the prodigal son? And the scripture says in the story of Jesus, the dad runs to embrace his son. That child is you. That child is me. And that father is our father, God. And his message to us is, you are much more than just likable. You are loved deeply. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you are much more than just okay. You are forgiven. Because you are a daughter of the King. You are a son of the King. You are a child of God. But the enemy tricks us. The enemy tricks us into believing all of these lies because he doesn't want you to discover the truth. Because he knows that if you discover the truth, you will be unstoppable. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to dare you this morning. Faith dare. I'm going to dare you to stop listening to those lies of Satan and start embracing the truth. What truth? Help me. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible, what? Tells me so. May God help us to listen and hear and not listen to all of those lies coming from the Father of lies. We sing the song of invitation this morning. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you can be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you can be forgiven. If you're a Christian and you've sinned, and we all mess up. If it's between you and the Lord, go into your closet and, and, and just go somewhere quiet and private and pray. Pray your heart and He forgives. If we could pray with you, if that's the case, we'd be glad to do so. Because we want to help everybody. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, just as I am. Won't you come while we stand and sing?
Come on, bro.